Any comfort. Perfect song, buddy. Perfect. Thank you. He changed it up on us. You never know what they're going to end up singing when they get up here. Perfect. Great. Oh, it's so good to be with you today. It truly is. I was down in Orange County all week, or not in Orange County, in San Bernardino County uh, for my nephew's memorial. So that was quite a week, quite a week. I'm glad to be back here with all of you. We are moving along August the 11th. I can't believe it. Our theme for this year is Awake and Alive, We Thrive. Awake and Alive, We Thrive. And here we're in, what's August? The eighth month already of the year. Wow. And our theme for this month is Creativity and Imagination. Creativity and Imagination. And today I'm going to talk about creative living. Creative living. It's actually a title of one of Ernest's books. Uh, it's an old book that's out of print. You have it, Mel? Yeah, it's a comp compilation of a bunch of his essays. It's kind of a fun book, uh, and I think you can get it on the archives. You can download it from the Science of Mind archives. So we're going to start with the question, who am I? Who am I, right? At some point in our lives, most of us have asked that question, right? Who am I? And uh, the question itself can bring a lot of fruit with it. You know, it brings us to that place of going within. It brings us to that place of looking deep within us, that place that we're connected to all of life, where you are you and I am I and you are me and we're all connected as the one. You know, there's an old Hindu tradition uh, that counsels its practitioners to ask the question like a mantra to ask the question over and over again, and it leads you into the heart of the divine. There's people, we've talked about this before, who seem to know who they are and what their purpose is, and they just come on this planet and they know. But for many of us, that's not the truth. For many of us, it's a, it's a time of inquiry. We reach these times in our life where we stop and we pause and we ask ourselves, who am I? What's my purpose? Why am I here? We ask ourselves those deeper questions. Who am I is a timeless mantra. It's a Zen koan, ultimately designed to lead us home into the parts of our minds that finally let go of questions and answers and find instead the ability to simply be. The purpose of a koan is to help us to escape ourself, to escape our thinking and the constraints of the human mind. Don Dionda, he's the author of See Yourself, Zen Mindfulness for the Next Generation. He says this, the koan serves as a surgical tool used to cut into and then break through the mind of the practitioner. Koans aren't just puzzles that your mind figures out suddenly and proclaims, ah, oh, the answer is there. No, they wait for you to open enough to allow the space necessary for them to enter into the depths, the inner regions beyond knowing, right? They wait for you to open enough to allow the space necessary for them to enter into your depths. So lots of times we hear these Zen sayings or we hear these Buddhist sayings and they just seem silly and we don't even know what they are, right? What does that mean? But the intention of them is, is to open you, to open you. So to sit and to ask yourself, 
who am I in meditation is a very powerful tool to repeat it like a mantra over and over again. Who am I? Who am I? Another uh, Zen Buddhist uh, koan is, if you practice sitting as Buddha, you must kill the Buddha. Right? We go, what in the heck does that mean? If you practice sitting as Buddha, you must kill the Buddha. There was a uh, gentleman who was asked why he practiced Zen, and the student said, because I intend to become like Buddha. And his teacher picked up a brick and started polishing it. And the student asked, why are you polishing that brick? And the teacher said, well, I intend to make a mirror. <laughs> All right? And he, the student asked, how can you make a mirror by polishing a brick? And he said, how can you become Buddha by practicing Sazen? Right? If you understand sitting Zen, you will know that Zen is not about sitting or lying down. If you want to learn sitting Buddha, know that sitting Buddha is without any fixed form. If you practice sitting as Buddha, you must kill the Buddha. If you are attached to the sitting form, you are not mastering the essential principle. There, if you practice sitting as Buddha, you must kill the Buddha. Makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? We must let go of that form that we think Buddha is. Right? And just be in that moment to go within, to let go. How is it possible to practice meditation without attachment to the fruit of our efforts? Right? Most of us will go into meditation or decide we're going to practice meditation because we want to get something. We want to get more spiritual. We want to have more peace. We want to learn something. We want some insight. Right? And, and it's suggested that when we very start practicing meditation, perhaps we can't do it without attachment to the form because it does necessitate some form of enlightenment. So perhaps in the beginning we do it because we're looking to get something. But hopefully as we continue on in our practice, we're able to let go and to just be. We're able to let go of the form. We're able to let go of how it's supposed to look like. We're able to kill the Buddha. We're able to just be. Could that be the key to creative living, right? It certainly is a very be good beginning when we remove ourselves from the human doing and become the human being, right? What do they say? Don't just uh, do something, uh, stand there. Can we do that? Can we just be? Can we get rid of the to-do list? Can we get rid of all the activities? Can we get rid of all of the things that our mind thinks that we need to do in order to get fill in the blank? Can we just be? Can we come from the inside out? Can we come from the inside out? Right? Can we just be? What if, what if, and this question was posed by one of our uh, ministers, Martha Quintano in uh, Albuquerque, Center for Spiritual Living. She said, what if we are spirits in form having a spiritual experience? What if? Right? Instead of what we normally hear as say we're human beings having the spiritual spirits, what if we're spirits in form having a spiritual experience? Right? That takes it to a whole other level for me. That takes it to a whole other thing. That gets rid of any kind of separation between me and God, certainly, because I'm spirit made manifest. 
What if that is the truth? What if we're all here, spirits in form, having a spiritual experience on this planet? All of life is us being spirits here and now. It raises our consciousness to a whole other place. We recognize we are so much more than our little worlds. We're so much more than our homes and our jobs and our relationships and all of our to-do list. Everything that we do serves spirit. Everything that we do serves spirit. Every conversation that we have, every trip to the market, right? every drive down the road, dropping the kids off, it's all about spirit expressing spirit. When I recognize God first in all I do, life goes a lot better. Right? When I recognize that I'm spirit made manifest, not a separate entity. See, it's not God over there and then me. God and I are one. We're the same. Right? I'm not a separate entity trying to eke out a meager existence in a warring world. That's the religion I was raised on. You know, life's a veil of tears and then you die. Does that sound like awful? Right? We bear our crosses and someday we'll get, you know, no. It's here and now, right now. We are spirit. We're God made manifest right now. We're in heaven now. Right? Are we choosing to live it? Are we choosing to be it? Are we choosing to recognize? Right? I was thinking this morning about the song, You Are the Face of God, that we sing, right? You're the face of God. I'm looking at it, all these magnificent faces of the divine. Perfect exactly as you are right here and right now. You know, it's, it's a powerful, powerful way to live. God and I are one. God and I are one. Ernest Holmes is the founder of Science of Mind. He says, the secret of spiritual power is a consciousness of one's union with the whole and the availability of good. Pretty good. We are one with the universal creativeness, which is the God of theology, the spirit of mysticism, the reality of philosophy, and the principle of science. God is accessible to all people. It's from a little book called Know Yourself, You Are More Than You Think. Again, a bunch of earnest essays put together and edited. No one and nothing can diminish us unless we agree to it. We must hold the highest vision for ourselves and for others, right? Nobody can diminish us unless we agree to it. To know the truth of who we are, to know that we are spirit in form, having a spiritual experience, the truth of our being. Each time we allow ourselves to live fully, we are allowing ourselves to have the experience we have come here to have. We serve no one by playing small. We serve no one by playing small. Oh, no, I don't want to cause waves. I don't want to make ruffles, you know. No, stand in your power. Stand in your glory. Speak your truth. We serve no one by playing small. When we see our own spirit in form, we can see others similarly, right? If we're spirit in form, then if I'm spirit in form, then you're spirit in form, right? So when I know that I'm spirit in form, it's easier for me to know that you're spirit in form. 
you know, there's God walking down the street. I've shared with you guys this before. I mean, I love to just do this. Go to the mall and sit at the mall and say, there's God, there's God, there's God. There's. It's like so fun to do it because you just feel so good, right? Go to the beach. And there's God, there's God. There's God playing ball with that little kid. There's, the, there's God, you know, in the fish. I mean, there's just God everywhere. If we recognize that, we can't help but know the perfection of it all. We can't help but know that God is good and only good, as Ernest said. There's only good. Those of you that uh, read our Facebook page know this quote, and I know who it is that reads it, those that do. The world exists as you perceive it. It is not what you see, it's how you see it. It is not what you hear, but how you hear it. It is not what you feel, but how you feel it. Rumi, Rumi, right? Each of us perceives differently through our own filters, through our own experience, through our own whatever baggage that we've carried along, right? You know you have brothers and sisters that grew up in the same house as you, those that do, and you could swear that they grew up in a different house, right? Like we all see it different. We all experience that event a little bit differently. We see it through our eyes. The, this life is an inside job. It truly is. The outer world is a mirror of our inner world. What we see is what we see with. Since this inner self is a continuous connection with the outer self, it can cause a flow of intelligence, stimulating the mind to its purposefulness, to creative genius, to executive ability. There is something in the most practical person that longs for their still, silent presence. When we spend our entire time on objective things, never getting back to the inner self, we are piling brick upon brick sooner or later to see them fall apart in ruin. The toiler dies in a day unless the dreamer refreshed and invigorates him with that divine influx which comes from the inner self that never tires, fed by the deep, eternal fires. Again, Ernest Holmes. It's an inside job. We live inside out, not the other way around. Do you remember that movie? I think it was called Inside Out. Not too long ago, the kids animated movie where all the little parts of the brains lived and talked to each other, right? Inside out. What was going on inside affects what's happening outside, not the way that we normally think. We're normally raised to think so-and-so did this, so I this. No, I this, so so-and-so did that. You see, it's the other way around. What's inside is what creates our external. We're free. We're free to create what it is that we want to create in our lives. We're free to have that which it is we want to have in our lives. Anytime something is going right or well, it's time to look inward to find the correlation because there's always a connection. There's always a connection. Most of the time, it means that something has come up for healing. So within, so without. You know, when uh, I say this a lot in counseling sessions, things come up when they do because they're ready to be healed. It's no accident that your memory from five years old is coming up right now. It's coming up because you're ready to look at it. You're ready to heal it. You're ready to walk through it. You're ready to relinquish it. You're ready to let go of it, right? And when it comes up, we, 
I, I encourage you to take that opportunity to heal it before it gets stuffed right back down under all the layers of garbage. It's there. It's saying, hey, right? When something comes up to be healed, you know, when we have something in our lives that's happening over and over again, it's really good to go and look and see what the inner correlation is. Again, this is why a religious science practitioner is such a valuable tool to you, right? Because your practitioner can help you uncover and discover that which it is that is keeping you stuck. They can help you discard the stuff that no longer serves you so you can move forward in your life. If you're feeling stuck in your life, what is it that's keeping you stuck? There was a woman, and their story is that she um, was making a certain amount of dollars, right? And she couldn't seem to break past this dollar amount that she was bringing in each year. And she so desperately wanted to, and she was practicing these principles, and she would get a, a, a promotion, and she would get a raise, and she'd get a job, but she always ended up at the same money. It's like this invisible barrier that she couldn't get through. And then she had an epiphany. She realized that that was the amount of money her father had made. And if she passed by her father, some way she would be dissing him or, or disrespecting him or, 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 or damaging his memory. Right? So when she was able to do the work to look and to see that there was another way that she could honor her father, that that in fact wasn't the truth, that wasn't connected, but within her it was, she was able to move into this place of greater income and greater source. So there's always, there's always something underneath, right? These spiritual laws are the truth. And so it can't be, oh, I just have bad luck. Oh, I just get the wrong job. Oh, I just never get promoted. Well, why not? We need to take a look underneath and see what is that thing that's keeping me? What am I afraid of? What happens if I make, you know, $100,000 a year? Does my family get left behind? Do my friends get left behind? Does everybody think I'm a big shot then? Does everybody look at me different? What happens if I make $100,000? We got to look at all that and get to that place where you know what? I'm spirit in form and I am a money magnet right? And it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter. And we get there by doing our inner work, by doing the inside job, right? Not by looking at all the things out here that we need to change. Let yourself have the experiences you've come here to have. You are indulging your spirit when you give rise to your own purpose and voice. Believe in yourself. You are the only true witness to your personal God. I'm going to leave you with two Zen stories that you can mull over this week as you're thinking. There was a monk, and, and he, uh, he came to his teacher, and he says, I've just entered the monastery. Please teach me. And the teacher asks, have you eaten your rice porridge? And the monk replies, I have eaten. And the teacher says, then you had better wash your bowl. <laughs> right? So those are one of those ones to sit with. What could that mean? What does that mean? There is something profound and yet minimalistic about this advice. Don't get your head caught up in all this thinking about the meaning of life. Instead, just do it. Just wash your bowl, and in the washing, you'll find all you need. 
Simple. Simple. Say yes. A man went to a Buddhist monastery for silent retreat, and after he finished the retreat, he felt better and calmer and stronger, but there was something that was missing. And the teacher said he could talk to one monk before he left. So the man thought for a while, then he asked the monk, how do you find peace? The monk replied, I say yes to everything. To everything that happens, I say yes. When the man returned, he was enlightened. Say yes to everything. Most of our pain, most of our suffering comes from resistance to what is. Life is. And when we resist what life is, we suffer. When we say yes to life, we surrender to life and say, okay, what should I now know? That's where the power comes from. As we let go, as we say yes, as we accept the changing tides, the changes in our life, the things that happen that we don't particularly want to happen. We say yes, we say yes. So, who am I? Who am I? This week I'd like you to sit with that. Who am I? God bless you. I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.